All right, so we're in the midst of recording on the computer again, and um, <clears throat> we are uh, in our second week of the study for uh, Colossians. We uh, we did last last week. We did a, a kind of a quick synopsis of the uh, uh, intro to uh, Colossians. Remember, uh, Paul has never been to this church for whatever reason, but he is uh, feels a, a, a need to write to them. And it is, uh, by and large, a, a, a good letter, but it is a letter that is uh, uh, concerned about some of the uh, heresy that is, that is creeping into the church. Uh, we'll be dealing more with this starting in um, possibly next week if we get through it to, to verse 15 for next week. But in the meantime, we know that we are a, a people who are called, and, and the Colossians are called, to understand that uh, Christ is preeminent in everything and uh, that he is uh, co-equal with God the Father and he is the one who is involved, was involved in creation and in holding all things together. Um, in uh, the first uh, chapter, which is where we're at, we know that Paul and Timothy were the writers. Paul was a primary writer, Timothy a secondary person. We've talked a little bit about prayer, and we'll be doing some more of that today. And um, uh, we ended last week with uh, verse 4, and we'll be picking up in verse 5 and following. So I thought what I would do, it's kind of hard to go around the room, round robin, in a group like this, because I'm not sure that all of us have the, the same uh, order on your screen as to who's who or who's where. So if you don't mind, I'll, I'll just read this first section. And then we can dig into this. So, Colossians chapter 1, if you've got your Bibles, it's Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ in Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already uh, heard about the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit, growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who has told us of your love in the spirit. <clears throat> for this reason, since the day we heard of you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking uh, God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyful, uh, giving, joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. All right, we'll stop there. 
and see what kind of damage we can do as we start studying here. So we, uh, we have talked about, uh, previously we talked about the fact that, uh, that Paul is uh, uh, praise. We have uh, three different aspects of prayer listed here in the, these first roughly nine verses. We talk about giving thanks. We talk, we've talked about just the idea of prayer itself, which is a general overall arching principle of prayer where we ask, we talk with God, we communicate with him. We've talked about uh, Thanksgiving, which is a specific uh, area of, of prayer. And then we've also talked about the ask. And uh, we've talked about that again. Uh, we've, we've used the, the acronym ACTS, uh, which is adoration, uh, confession, um, Thanksgiving, uh, um, ACT, and, and S, uh, uh, supplication. So uh, those are the the major aspects, and Paul at least deals with three of those here in, in his prayer. Notice that he um, uh, uses the word in verse 5, which is where we're going to really kind of pick up at. He talks about the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you, for you in heaven. Uh, a couple of things. This hope is not subjective. Um we, I think we talked a little bit about this last week, but let me just remind you that uh, hope, from a biblical perspective, is an assured assurance, assurance that it, this is going to happen. You, have, you can take it to the bank. There isn't any uh, wishful thinking here or, uh, you know, when you wish upon a star uh, or anything like that. This is truly, it is, it is bankable. And notice that he says that not only is it bankable, but it's stored up, which is reserved or set apart or uh, set up for you on, in your account. And, and that's what we talk about here in verse, uh, verse 5. And it's, it's stored up for you in heaven, and you've already heard the word of truth. So this idea of hope, uh, is we could talk about Romans if we wanted to, which, which talks about the hope we have. And um, the fact that um, that suffering uh, produces perseverance and it produces character and character produces hope and hope doesn't disappoint us. So you want to know how you have hope? <laughs> I hate to say this, but hope comes from some of the suffering that we go through that causes us to persevere, which causes us to build character in our lives, which that character in, in, in part creates hope for us we have an assurance of god through the hope of christ all right so this objective sense is the is what we're talking about here and uh, paul believes that the, the hope offered in christ inspires assurance and the result is that it's going to produce fruit notice that it says that uh, all over the world this gospel what gospel? The gospel, the good news that uh, Christ came to redeem the world and bring us back into a relationship with God, that this produces fruit. What kind of fruit? Any ideas? Love, joy, peace. Yeah. The fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5, right? Yep. <clears throat> Would that, is that the only fruit that is produced? Are there other things that we could consider fruit? Say, for example, 
evangelism, bringing people to Christ? Could that be a, a form of fruit? Yeah. yeah, I think so. It's probably bringing in the, the, the fruit in the idea that we talk about, you know, we plant, we water, but God brings the increase in and the increases <clears throat> the fruit, if you will. Sometimes it's how we are. Um, people observe us. It's not what we say, but it's kind of what we do. And sometimes we don't even know we're doing it by the way we live. Yeah. And our consistency, um, you know, the, the way that we care and the way that we aren't judging. Um, it, it, I know that speaks volumes at times. Sometimes we don't think so. And it's mm -hmm. nice once in a while for someone to say, hey, I, I you know, I did this because I see how you do things. And it's like, wow, I'm, you know. Yeah, yeah. Good thing he was watching only the good things. No, <laughs> just kidding. Well, one thing is to have a hope. And one thing is to share the same hope with others. Mm -hmm. And because he encouraged the people when they are frail, when, when they are at the end of the rope, we can, uh, we have proof of this self yeah. in us. Yeah. This, uh, this hope, this, the, the, is, isn't it interesting that, that God chooses to save the world through the gospel? Have you ever thought about that? God chooses to save the world through the gospel. He could do it any way he wanted. But isn't it interesting that it's the gospel that he chooses? It's, the whole story of who Christ is and why Christ came to die and why it was necessary to die and how that brings about redemption. Uh, that's all wrapped up into that concept of the gospel. And, and then it talks about the fact that we are there to produce fruit. And when we do it, we're hope God is hoping or wanting us, perhaps is a better term, to increase in our fruit production. Which, how, how does that happen? How do we increase our, our fruit production? Oh. <laughs> There's a tree. Do why do why I think fruit, today yeah. I'm going to produce more fruit. Practice. practice. Someone said something else besides practice. What was the other kind? Staying connected to the divine. Vine. Yeah, stay connected to the vine. Yeah. The, the, the fruit really has not a lot to do with the the branch, it has a, to do with the branch staying connected to the vine, and the vine is what produces the energy for the fruit to, to happen. The other thing that tends to happen as a result in order to get good fruit, have you ever noticed that you have to occasionally prune fruit trees? My wife is busy putting out plants and, 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 and taking care of her various um, um, perennials and, and, and looking towards getting annuals. And one of the things she's done is she's pruned th certain things back because pruning them back is what helps to create better blooms. I'm thinking, whoa, that's just what God does with us sometimes. And I, and I always complain about it. What? When God prunes you? Yeah, when God prunes me, I'm not, I'm not always a happy camper. And yet I should be. Well, it is, the funny part is you, you prune the wrong time, it's not going to help. That's true, too. That's true, too. <laughs> Sometimes I think that's when he does it. He does it when I don't want him to, but that's the time that he's done. Yeah, it's the time when it needs to be done, right? <laughs> yeah. 
not always my not always my fun time, huh? All right. So we talked about that. We talked about the fact that God uh, that, that Paul focuses on the the work of Christ and uh, then the accomplished uh, work of Christ and and then what God hopes to accomplish as a result of that. So then we, we're going to move on quickly to um, starting with verse nine. Now, it, it is kind of interesting. Have you ever considered the thought, maybe I should put this out for Thursday's uh, discussion, but how would you pray for a group you've never met and never seen? And yet that's what exactly what Paul is doing here. He's praying for a group he's never met, doesn't know them personally, and he's praying for them. So let's take a look at that. It is kind of interesting. This uh, prayer request in verses 9 through 14 uh, reflects a specific threat to the church and its own way of, uh, and, and in its own way, this prayer is set about to com combat heretics. Now, what I find fascinating about this is that, the, that verses 9 through 14 in the Greek. Uh, I counted it last night, and in my translation, it's about 140 words. These, all of these, in the Greek, it's 200 and, um, 218 words. It's all one sentence. Oh, wow. I, I get confused. I get uh, accused of having run-on sentences, not at all like Paul. <laughs> I don't even come close to run-on sentences like that. Uh, so it, it's all one thought, and we will do our best to get through a lot of it today. There are uh, two predominant themes, the first, and we're going to be tackling the first theme, uh, which is the uh, verses 9 through 14. The second part of the theme, which is 15 through 20, hopefully we'll get to next week, and that's the, it's a, in the form of a song or a hymn that praises God for the work of, of, of the Son. Jesus, but in this particular portion, in verses 9 through 14, where it's a prayer, and it focuses on the spiritual well-being of the Colossian Christians, and it petitions God for their continued growth. I know some of us have been doing that. Those of us who are in Sardinia, we I, hopefully we're still doing that for that little church in Quartu, because that they have been growing like leaps and bounds, and I think it's awesome what God's been doing there. We need to continue to pray for him. I know Giuseppe has been. Giuseppe has been a big part of their process. But so um, it is kind of interesting. The occasion here is the the condition of the church and the danger to the church is what we're looking at. And so there is a specific nature to the prayer. And it and in verse nine we have both praying and asking. So praying is this all encompassing. Uh, concept, although sometimes it's used synonymously, when it's used together like this, it's not synonymous. There's a, a reason for that. The first praying is a, this general term that Paul uses over and over again in in, uh, in the various letters that he writes to the churches. And the second is much more specific, where he's asking for some particular request. And uh, <clears throat> it's as though Paul takes starts off with a general prayer and then drills down, if you will, into a more important portion of it where he has a specific prayer. And his prayer is that they would know the will of, the, of God in their hearts. And the prayer is also, uh, is also consistent. He, 
he employs some never uh, some interesting he employs negative words to produce a positive meaning i never stop praying for you but he's saying that as a positive i'm I, that i'm praying for you constantly so uh god is his prayer is for the knowledge of the will of god for god to fill you up with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding now Knowledge is a is an important word, and in the Greek, it actually is a a, a combination of of two words: uh, uh, gnosis, which is uh, uh, the 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 idea of knowledge, and then epi, uh, which is um, uh, it, it changes the meaning. Often, this is a a secular term, and occasionally you you uh, you get this in the New Testament, uh, very rarely, but it's used occasionally. First Peter three seven does this and uh, again i'm i'm going to read to you the uh i'll read to you the niv and then i'm going to read to you from the kjv because i want you to catch something here husbands in the same way be considerate if you as you live with your wives treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you to the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers now that's the niv listen to the difference in the king james Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. I think the important thing on here is just, I just want to point this out, and I made a note in my, in my notes. Um, this points out, I think, the necessity, if we are not scholars of original languages, that it's a good idea to uh, to use a couple of different types of Bibles when we study. I think it's important that we use a, for, uh, the, the term we use, and it's not a, a fully accurate term, but it's the term that we've used to distinguish between the two types. Is one is a word-for-word -word translation, where you're getting the actual Greek word or Hebrew word, and then you translate it into a word here in, uh, in Scripture, uh, in English. Uh, the second is a dynamic equivalence, which is what the NIV did here when it says, in the same way, consider, uh, be considerate, versus dwell with them according to knowledge. Big difference in being considerate and being knowledgeable about your spouse, right? I can be considerate without really knowing a whole lot about her. So uh, it, it's it's important, I think, that sometimes that we read multiple translations so we get a good feel for it sometimes we don't understand what the word-for-word -word translation is it's nice to have a dynamic equivalence uh you know um the niv tries to thread the needle and do a little of both uh the new living translation is much more of a dynamic equivalent rick loves the the paraphrase the message I knew that was um, <laughs> and the message is a great way of trying to understand the concepts of, at least from one person's perspective, of what the, the passage is saying. So if you don't understand the word-for-word -word translation, it's nice to go to a dynamic equivalent, uh, which gives you uh, at least uh, the commentators or the, the translators' thoughts as to how to better translate that word. Another way of doing that would be with an annotated uh, a Bible, a Bible that has a lot of extra notes in it uh, instead of just the, the, the book itself. It's interesting, by the way, some of the very first translations of the English Bible, 
I know we're a little off course, but let me just mention this, have all of the notes, have notes in them, just like a lot of the study Bibles today do. I was looking at the Geneva Bible recently, and uh, which I have a, 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 a photocopy of uh, uh, in a bound book uh, sitting on one of my shelves, and it literally is a study Bible. It has the columns with the with the notes and the, and the, you know where to go to for a particular verse if you want to check out uh, how a verse uh, or how a concept is uh, you know stretched out through Scripture. They actually have it there. Can you believe that? It's an early form of uh, one of the earliest translations of the Bible predates the King James. Uh, I think Tyndale, I'm not sure if Tyndale's had a study note center or not, but I, I know that the, uh, the Geneva did. So anyhow, let's continue on. So uh, we've got this idea of, uh, in the, of knowledge, and in the New Testament, uh, the word has much more, in general, has much more of a religious use. And it's, it became a favorite word of the Gnostic philosophers and, and people who follow the Gnostic religion especially the, the heretical concept of um, Gnostic Christian uh, Christianity. And um, uh, they wanted to find uh, a way of enlightenment, of bridging the gap between the visible material and evil world with the invisible spiritual and good world of reality, at least from their perspective. And they talk about the battle between good and evil. In fact, even here, you'll notice uh, Notice that um, Paul even uses this concept. In verse 12, he talks about the kingdom of light, uh, the difference between light and day. Remember when we studied the book of John? Do you remember that we talked about that every time something good happens, it happens during daylight, and everything that's bad that happens happens at night or at least in darkness? When did Nicodemus come to Jesus at night? When was Jesus arrested? At night. When was the trial taking place? At night. You know, when did he feed the 5,000? In the daylight. When did he do most of his healing? In the daylight. Uh, when did he call the various disciples? In the daylight. Again, there's a, there's a big difference, and, and we see that here. Even Paul picks up this theme in the concept of light and darkness and the, and the battle between the two. Um, by the way, it's not necessarily something that just Christianity did. Uh, the uh, Essenes uh, used this concept of the warrior of light and the warriors of darkness as well in their writings uh, as they studied the Old Testament, what we would consider the Old Testament. So um, it's probably unlikely that this, that what they had and what Paul was dealing with and what the Colossians were struggling with was was not full-blown Gnosticism, but it certainly was a, synch a syncretic um, combination of Gnosticism, uh, dualism, uh, Greek philosophy, uh, Judaistic uh, tendencies of being obedient to the law, all kind of rolled together into a uh, a hodgepodge of stuff. We even talked about uh, the monetism, mon mon yeah, monetism, uh, which was another uh, montanism. Excuse me, uh, was a another uh, heresy that came out of this area that uh, believed in in uh, prophecy that would uh, supersede scripture. Um, 
would be the best, quick, probably quickest way of saying that. So uh, we have here is that Paul, though, is using this term both in a general and I would say in a theological perspective. He he wants us to understand that the knowledge of God stretches the, the true knowledge of God and his will. You know, and we're going to talk about this a little bit. How do you know, how, how do we know the will of God? Through the word. Through the word, okay. Yeah. <clears throat> and the application in our lives. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've okay. seen it, I've seen it doing these Bible studies. They've been uh, an eye opener, um, not only for me, but for the ones that I share with. And the beauty is to see the anger for more, the anger to know more. I was just reflecting before you asked the question, actually. Mm -hmm. How in the world do we know that the soap is alive? It's when we dive into the word. But I read it uh, last year, I read it a month ago. No, there is a newness always. This book can be read probably in less than a week. Or less than a day, if you will. And you will never learn anything. You will have had some kind of a knowledge, literary knowledge, rather than a personal knowledge of who God is. And that's the beauty. That's why we have the hope. Every time you read, in between the lines, that is what God desires for us to be and to have in order to live a righteous life. Yep. Yep. So God wants us to know his will. Do you think that God purposely hides his will from us? I repeat. Huh? I was gonna I think that's where you're um you know uh we're curious. Adam and Eve took the apple because they were curious, right? Yeah. So we're kind of a we're complex. We we want to figure things out, we study real hard, we we you know. And I think he enjoys that a little bit. Come and seek him, I think. And as you dive in more, you find you know a whole lot more, but it isn't that much when you get done with it. <laughs> Nowhere near as much as he has. Isn't it interesting that the, if all we do is know the will of God and we never apply it, we're not really have all of the information we need to know about God? God wants us to not only know it, but he wants us to use what we know. I always find it interesting that, uh, you know, people say they want to know the will of God, and yet they're unwilling to do the things they already know that are God's will. You know, like, I don't know, study the Bible, live a life that is worthy of the calling to which you're called. Uh, there are things that we already know from Scripture what we should do. And I've often wondered why it is that we think that God's going to reveal more to us when we, we're not busy doing what we should be doing already. Um, l listen to a couple of verses I'm going to pull out of uh, Acts 22, verse 14, says that, uh, that God's desire is for us to know as well. And this is what it says. And then he said, the God of our fathers, who has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear the words from his mouth. So God's chosen us to know his will. 
Ephesians 5.17 says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So God, not only does he want you to know it, he wants you to understand it. And, and I think the other thing that's interesting is that God is not a dictator. He's not, and he's certainly not distant, who issues orders and never explains his orders. Because he wants, uh, because we're his friends, and he wants us to know what he's doing and what he's doing. Listen to John 15. Greater love is no man than this, that a man should lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Well, if you do what I command, you're doing his will, right? I no longer call you servants because servants do not know their master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. So as we study his word and we pray, we discover new and exciting truths from God's will that he has for, our, for his people. And, and then he goes on to talk about the fact that he wants us to be filled with that. He wants us to be filled with, his, with the word and he wants us to have uh, knowledge and, uh, and wisdom, spiritual wisdom and understanding. So how do we understand the will of God? We understand the will of God by studying the word of God. The Holy Spirit teaches us to know what the will of God is because we study his word. Uh, but the counselor, and this is John 14, the counselor of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said. Uh, John 16, 13 says, but when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. So uh, as we pray and as we sincerely seek God's truth, I think he gives us the spirit of wisdom, and he gives us uh, insight, that, the insight that we need. So Ephesians 1.17 says, I keep asking that, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So there's a general will of God that he has for his people that we can find in Scripture. It's clearly laid out. He wants all men to be obedient. He wants us to, uh, to produce good works, etc. And then there's a specific will of God that is given for specific situations. And, uh, but if he gives you a specific, if he reveals a specific will, he will, that specific will will not contradict any of the general will that we already know from scripture. In other words, if you get something that says, I want you to go out and I don't know, murder your spouse. Uh, that's not That's not what God wants you to do. God's already told us not to murder. So, specific will being revealed to you will never reveal to you something that is contrary to what scripture in general tells you. That's one of the ways you know that. And we've talked about, remember we talked about this last week, what is, how do we determine God's will? Well, obviously the most important thing is we study his word, but mm -hmm. uh, we talked about pews. Remember we talked about pews last week, people, events, the word and the spirit. God reveals his will in a variety of ways, specifically the word and the spirit. And then sometimes he has people or events that come into your life. They go, that's got to be a God. You know, I, um, I've told you the story that uh, I was looking for a, um, 
a new position in, in church this years ago. And um, I thought I was going to be a, a worship pastor. Uh, so I went in the course of, oh, I don't know, maybe a year or two years, a couple of years, maybe no more than two years, about a year, year and a half. I went to three different churches. Each church, I thought maybe this was the church that God was calling me to be at. And I candidated there. Every church came back to me and said, you know, we don't think you're a worship pastor. We think you're a teaching pastor, senior pastor or whatever. I go, I can't believe that. Uh, and the first time you go, yeah, yeah, right, sure. Second time you're going, this is a little scary. The third time I was like, okay, I just give up, God. I give up. All right, apparently this is what you want me to spend my life doing is teaching more than leading in worship. So, okay, fine. That's what we'll do. So I think that sometimes God uh, wants us to know his will, and sometimes he reveals it through people and events, but he always reveals his will through the word and through the spirit. Now, it's also interesting to know that, uh, God, that Paul did not encourage the Colossians to seek visions or wait for voices, to hear something from God, you know, that because he, you know, he, he knew that if they just dug deeper into the word, that they would get greater wisdom and greater insight concerning God's will. Why would that be? Why would studying the, will of the word of God and spending time with God, why would that allow you to know God's will? Well, let me ask you this. It, it's you, 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 without reading the story, you don't know. You can only <laughs> presume, you know, you go to church, you hear a pastor, you hear a priest, you hear whatever. But it's getting into the word gives you a better understanding or reading the book versus seeing a movie or, you know, you, mm -hmm. you, you, there's just more, there's more meat to there um to the story and and then you put the holy spirit in there teaching us as we you know how can we read a passage for the 500th time and it says something different all of a sudden <laughs> to me because yeah. it's just i'm i'm growing i'm at the point where now the the spirit of god can reveal more stuff to me mm -hmm. because um i was on milk now i'm eating meat and um, it, it, the only way that comes is by faith comes by hearing, hearing comes by the word of God, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to be in the word to know. Um, and it, at times I could be praying, but if I don't read enough sometimes, I find in my walk, I get off a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I have to come back <clears throat> to the Bible. Um, praying is awesome. Praying is important. Uh, living your life is good and reaching people you know wonderful but the word is what's really going to move me that that's really going to keep me consistent and every yeah. time i get out of that i not out of it less of it let's put it sometimes i there's where i get into some issues and i have to come back to it always you know um mm -hmm. staying with it and reading that's good well we we have the entire record how God operated in the past mm -hmm. when he talked directly to the people. We don't have the same commodity, if you will, today in that case, because we have the story written. 
but this is the connecting link between us and God. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, he will be talking to us directly. And the more we are get to into the word because that's his word the more we connect to god it's true that it's in a way like um, this is the <clears throat> physical natural that we have here that allow the supernatural to come when we read it when we meditate it and when we pray you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hey, let me ask you a question. Um, let's say that you're you're at home and uh, you uh, you you start to do something and you go, you know, if I do this, I you know, as, as an example, let's say we decide we're going to paint a room. And uh, we're, we're doing it because we think this is what our, our spouse wants, but we, we failed to lay down drop cloths. Do you think that she'd be upset that you didn't use a drop cloth in an area that you, you know, had nice carpet or whatever? Yeah, I, I think uh, what I'm trying to point out here, and I'm doing apparently a poor job because none of you are, are, are getting this, I think. The more you spend time with your spouse, do you kind of know ahead of time how she's going to respond to certain situations? <clears throat> do you need to ask her if, if you know, if, if she's going to be upset that you used, uh, you know, the good china instead of using paper plates for, for a picnic? Well, you know, we've, uh, What's we've, that? Been married, we've been married 50 years now and, uh, uh and yeah, we, we, we know what each other's thoughts are. I mean, because we spend so much time. Yeah. You know, and I, I can ask my wife anytime, what am I thinking now? And she knows. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Of course, I, I got a one for mind, but. <laughs> <laughs> my, that's my, my point, though, is the more you spend time with God, you're not going to necessarily have to ask him stuff. You're already going to know what's going to please him and what isn't going to please him based upon past experience and past study. And the more you spend time with him, the more you'll know. You won't have to, oh, God, what should I do about this situation? You'll, you'll already have a, a, an inkling. And at best, the, the worst you could do is say, God, I think this is the direction you ought to have, you want me to go. But if it's not, change, you know, let me know right away. So that sort of talks into a question that's been um, on my mind since Dan said it. Dan talked about um, oh, your your actions may speak louder than your words, basically. And you said something along those lines, and you you use the word consistently. Mm -hmm. You're consistently acting. Val, what you just described is a consistent behavior, because your China example. I have exactly the opposite. I've lived through a few weeks ago that I didn't think we would use China, and we did. <laughs> well, I, I can't speak for your, your particular situation. I don't know all the, the particulars about it. All I know is that usually I would okay. think that- Nice qualifying. The, yeah, yeah, okay. 
So spiritual intelligence uh, is the beginning of a successful and I think a fruitful Christian life. I don't think God puts a premium on ignorance. Let, let, let me say this. I, I, I've heard occasionally people say, well, I, you know, why in the world would I need to go to Bible college or go to seminary? I mean, I'm just a, you know, the, 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 the Lord will teach me what I need to know. And you're absolutely correct. The Lord can teach you what you need to know. And there have been some amazing uh, preachers and teachers of the word that did not have formal training. Charles Spurgeon was considered the prince of Baptist preachers uh, forever. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan, H.A. Uh, Ironside, uh, Jim Cimbala of uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle today. None of these guys went on to formal education in the Bible. But what they did do is they spent hours and hours at becoming a devoted student of the word and they spent hours of study, meditation, and prayer in, in getting to that point. I, I've heard Jim Cimbala, I've, I've heard him several times at conferences, and I remember him saying, uh, I'm not suggesting that this is the way you should do it. It's a whole lot easier if you get some training, if you have people that can help you and point you, you as to how to do these things. Lost you, Val. Somebody lost me? We lost you. Yeah, you're yeah. broken up. Let's see if it'll come back. That's better. Am I back you're, now? You're better now. You, you were really yeah. fast, too. All right. Well, what I, was, what I had said was that, that there, are, there have been some great men of, of the word that did not have formal training. Spurgeon, G. Campbell Morgan, H.A. Ironside in the past, uh, all never had formal Bible training, but were amazing students of the word. And the, the result of this, they spent time in study, in meditation, in prayer, they spent exorbitant amounts of time. Whereas, and then I mentioned a, a current uh, gentleman by the name of Jim Simbola, who is the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle uh, in Brooklyn, New York. And Jim uh, was a graduate of um, Annapolis, uh, a naval officer, came to, uh, became the pastor of a church, a real tiny church that grew into a mega church in Brooklyn, but he, he never had formal Bible training, but he would tell you that that was the exception to the rule. You need to study. You need to have someone help you learn the tools you need. It makes it so much easier than having to spend extra time uh, digging into the word. You know, uh, the disciples had three years with Jesus and time studying. Paul, who had studied with some of the greatest theologians of his day, Jewish theologians of his day, still spent almost three years relearning theology from a Christocentric perspective. Uh, you know, it takes time. It takes study. It takes diligence. And it, it, it starts by getting involved in studying the Word. And doing what we're doing today is, is a big help. Uh, hopefully what we're doing today will cause you to go, yeah, I'm not sure if I believe what he told me. And you'll go out and check the scripture. See if I, if I told you the truth. Some of you use yeah, Google to, scripture. I'm sorry. It seems to me that um, I learned so much from our discussions and, uh, uh, you know, in, in different groups and stuff like that. You, know, you have a discussion 
know, because somebody will bring up a point that you know, oh yeah, I didn't uh, I didn't mm -hmm. quite understand it that way, or that that's a new new uh, a slant on something that I I, I understood a little bit differently, or something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And you learn a lot that way. Yeah, you're right. Hey, Larry. Uh, uh, sorry, I'm late. That's uh, okay. That's okay. Uh, in again, in, in Colossians ten one ten, um, one of the things that that the the the, teach, the false teachers were doing was trying to give you spiritual knowledge. But the, here's the problem: God wants knowledge and obedience to go together. Just because you know something isn't enough. You've got to know it and then do it. There's no separation in God's in God's kingdom. In God's economy, there's no difference. There's no separation between learning and living. You need to learn it, and then you need to live it. It's not just knowing the deep spiritual truths. I ran into this occasionally when I was pastoring. I'd have people come up to me and tell me, you know, Pastor, we want, we want to know the deep spiritual truths of God. We just want to study the scripture and, and know <laughs> I said, so how are you doing with the application part? Because <laughs> it's That'll one thing to know it. Your favorite book, right? Yeah, exactly. My, my favorite book to hate, James, which is all practical. Here's how you live the Christian life. But isn't wisdom? Wisdom is actually the application of knowledge, right? Yeah. So if we're praying for godly wisdom. We're, we're praying that we can apply the knowledge that we've learned. True spiritual wisdom is supposed to affect your daily life. Wisdom and practical intelligence have to go together. Um, listen to a couple of verses out of a uh, couple out of the Old Testament and one out of the New Testament. Uh, Exodus uh, 31.3, uh, God says about the, there were two gentlemen that he had head up the manufacturing of the tabernacle. And he said about the, the, the top guy, the, dog, the, the chief that was overseeing everything, I have filled him with the spirit of God, <coughs> skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts. In Deuteronomy 4, it, it, in verse 6, it says, Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations. Observe what? The laws of God. And, and, and when you do that, when they hear and they see all the decrees and they understand that you're following, them, they will say, surely this is a great nation and it's wise and, and it has wise and understanding people. Mm -hmm. You know, um, just knowing this deeper truths isn't enough. Uh, you, you don't discover them on a detour uh from practical christian living oh i can take a i can take a break right now i don't need to live the life of christ i can just study the truths no no no. luke even luke 24 32 this is a couple of uh, guys walking on a road to emmaus and they're listening to christ who's expounding on them why christ had to die and rise again can you imagine they know they don't recognize him they have no idea who he is so as a result of that they uh, when he leaves and, and, and they realize who it is, they say to each other, we're not our hearts, we're not our hearts uh, burning within us while, we talk, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. 
all Bible truths are practical and not just theoretical. Let me say it again. All Bible truths are practical and not theoretical. Second uh, Peter 3 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus uh, Christ. To him be glory now and forever. Amen. Grow in the grace and knowledge. So if I was going to say, how does all this play out? Well, Denny mentioned that wisdom is the application of the knowledge that we've been given. So we start off with godly wisdom. That wisdom helps us to walk in a way that's worthy of the Lord. And while we're walking in the worthy, in being worthy of the walk that God's called us to do, we will end up working for God. So works do not cause us to be saved. Works are an evidence of our salvation. So the, 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 the process is gain wisdom, which helps us in our walk, which then as, as we're walking, we are involved in working for Christ. I can't work for God unless I'm walking with him. I can't walk with him if I'm ignorant of his will. The believer who spends time daily in the word and prayer will know God's will and be able to walk with him and work for him. After all, our purpose in life is to please who? Me or someone else? Please God. Please God. Yeah. Please God. And so often our problems, we're trying to please ourselves. So it is not, by the way, it's who does the work in us? He does. Okay. And who does the work through us? <clears throat> he does. <laughs> right. That's how we produce fruit. We produce fruit based upon his grace and his mercy in us. Oh, we just finished Philippians last, the last book study we did that, that ended the beginning of the year. It says, therefore, in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, it says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is works in you and will and to will and to act according to his good purpose. God is not calling us to work out our salvation in the sense that we need to do something in order to get saved. But as a result of being saved, we must work the works that God has called us to do. Remember what uh, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, it's by grace we've been saved. And that not of ourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we can't do anything to get God's, to get saved, to get back into a right relationship with God. But the result of that is in verse 10 of Ephesians 2, uh, it says that we were created to do good works, which God has already created for us to do. The plan is for us to get saved and then to do good works. By the way, in order to do that, sometimes uh, he has to make the worker before he can have him do the work. This is the part I always hate. It's the part of the learning process. Think about this. God spent 13 years preparing Joseph to take over the ministry of Egypt and save his family from famine. 13 years. Some of that in prison. Not the best education that I would personally want, but it was something that, that God put Joseph through in order to prepare him. Give you another example. Oh, I don't know. Moses. 
80 years before he was able to lead the people of Israel out of slavery. It took 80 years to prepare him. I'm not saying Moses was a slow learner. <laughs> I'm just saying that I think I resemble him a lot. Well, Vel, there's hope for us all now. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Are, um, you, are you suggesting it was entirely Moses' fault? <laughs> I think Moses was a slow learner. <laughs> <laughs> and you're sticking to it, right? Just the hope sticking for to it. Life. And you know what? I, I, I think I resemble him an awful lot. I remember the disciples I already mentioned that's three years with Jesus. Uh, the Apostle Paul, he graduates from and becomes a rabbi, right? And then he gets a postgraduate course of another three years with the Holy Spirit teaching him <laughs> what the what really he should have learned the first time he went through all the scripture. <clears throat> so God's wisdom reveals God's will. Our Christian lives desperately need to be in balance with not only just learning the word of God, but then applying it in our daily walk. And worship and service should not be competitive. Hmm. Worship and service should not be competitive. They ought to go hand in hand, knit, knit together. I think we need to be careful about avoiding extremes of impractical mysticism or fleshly enthusiasm. We need to have practical obedience that pleases God and serves him, and it allows us to get to know him better. Any doctrine that isolates the believer from the need of the world around him is not a spiritual doctrine. And, and I'll close with this. We'll just get through verse 10. Um, and that is that this, the evangel D.L. Moody, the, evan the great evangelist, of the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century, said every Bible should be bound in shoe leather. Every Bible should be bound in shoe leather. So any doctrine that isolates the believer from the needs of the world around him is not a spiritual doctrine. With that, well, let's close. Father, thanks for the opportunity to spend time with you. Thanks for your word and how it applies to our hearts. It's easy for us to get busy doing stuff for you and neglect spending time with you. It's also easy to get busy spending time with you and neglecting the work that you've called us to do. So help us to find that proper balance, especially during this time when we're in, in the midst of a, a slowdown in our lives. We have time to study your word, time to meditate on it, time to understand it, and then figure out ways of applying what we learn. Help us, Father that we would learn to be good stewards of not only uh, the study time we have, but of our application of that in our daily lives. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.